Hey everybody, family and friends, I want to welcome you to today's Bridge Building Solutions Podcast. I'm excited today because in just a few moments, we are going to be joined by Dr. Madison Deshay Duncan, who happens to be an assistant professor of teaching at Iowa State University. So I'm really excited about having her with us today. But as always, I hope that we are going to be open to learn. You know, we need to take a step back, we need to chill, and we need to open up our hearts to learn and to gain some understanding. You know, with all the rancor that's going on in the world today, especially around race, around racism, we are seeking a path of what I like to say, genuine humility and teachableness. You know, Albert Einstein, I love this quote, said, we can solve our problems with the same thinking that we use to create them. James, in his letter to the church, told us to be teachable, to have an open heart, to gain some understanding about truth, because it's that truth that sets us free. I like what the Apostle Paul said. He said, don't look out only for your own, but take an interest in others too. You know, how many times do we not do that? How many times do we become so consumed with ourselves and what's going on in our own lives that we don't take the time to take an interest in others and what maybe they're going through. Have you ever wondered why in an age where not much seems to be impossible? I mean, just look at what's happening in the world around us with technology and, you know, the things that are going on and we, yet we still can't figure out how to resolve or heal the racial divides that plague our country. And I even have to say in our communities, in our, in our neighborhoods, and even in our churches. Even with more and more people recognizing that something is horribly wrong, we find ourselves stuck, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do. So you know what we do? Nothing. We don't say anything, and we don't do anything. And my friends, that has to change. We have to open up our hearts and figure out a way to get unstuck. Bridge Building Solutions was born out of the heart of God to learn, to help us learn how to take our first steps towards fostering racial healing. Here, let me say this. We really want to create a space void of judgment and uninformed arguments. There are just too many people that are spouting off with really not understanding what they're really talking about. And we've got to create this space where some people can come together, can sit down outside of judgment, outside of a bunch of uninformed arguments, and really open up our hearts to listen and to learn. I call it a grace space, grace-filled space where we can learn and help each other move forward. Everything we know is not all there is to learn. So here's where we are. A few weeks ago, we asked this question, how can I help foster racial healing? How can I personally engage and be a part of fostering racial healing in, in my family, in my community, in my church, in our country? What steps can I take to move forward? How can I 
begin this journey. And so here's what we did without oversimplifying a horrible problem that we are dealing with in our lives. We introduced the four R's of a racial reckoning. Those four R's are relationship. We talked about how important it is that we intentionally move into cross-cultural relationships. You know, we're living in, a, in an age where that, that is not impossible. We don't have to put an ad in the paper. We have people in our families. We have to put, we have people in our churches and our communities. I don't care. Even if we live in Iowa, we are being a diverse culture. And so all we need to do is to, you know, lift up our eyes and look for those opportunities where we can build those relationships. And then we need to remember something that a lot of people don't want to do. We need to take the the time to gain a historical understanding so that we can have a true context of what's really going on. And then as you begin to learn some of those things, we have to move into a space of lament and repentance. You know, and as Christians, followers of Jesus, we should understand the importance of that step that we have to take in our lives. And then lastly, we'll talk about repair. Once we understand what was what has happened, what has taken place, then hopefully we'll have the heart to do what we need to do to become the true repair of the breach that has been created. Here's a frame that we've embraced, and hopefully it will help us get started in our journey of anti-racism. We've already talked about how important cross-cultural relationships are. So today what we're going to talk about is our second R for a racial reckoning, which is remembering. But before I start, I want to get Dr. Madison DeShay Duncan to join us, to come on to the podcast with us. And as I said, she is an assistant teaching professor at Iowa State University, where she received a PhD in education with an emphasis on social and cultural studies and social justice in education. In 2007, she founded Community Legacy Matters Incorporated a nonprofit organization to research and create innovative educational resources that preserve, promote, and educate the public on the history of Iowa's culturally significant but historically underrepresented communities. Dr. Deshays Duncan's current and ongoing projects, one of which I'm really excited about, include an upcoming documentary called The Center Street Story. So Madison, I hope I can call you Madison, but I can't tell you how honored we are to have you on the podcast today, for you to have taken some time out of your very busy schedule to join us in this conversation. We want to welcome you today. Thank you, Pastor Dan, um, for inviting me to the table for such an important conversation that really needs to take place. We're excited to have you. And hey, before we get started, though, you know, we have had an opportunity to be in some Zoom meetings over the, the past year, but we haven't had an opportunity to talk here lately. So how are you doing? You know, we just kind of know in the process of coming out of this pandemic and all the things that's been going. How are you and yours um, doing? You guys doing okay? We're doing okay. Rich, you're talking about Rich. He's, um, he's doing well. We are um, vaccinated, and I want to urge everyone to you know, consider at least getting vaccinated to, you know, to continue to move forward 
um, and protect everyone, protect your loved ones. But yeah, we're doing really good. We're, we're trying to get back into the swing of things. Well, good. You know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to the days ahead and the, the work that we're all involved in. And again, I just really appreciate you being a part of the discussion today. I, I'd kind of like to set up our discussion if you just give me a second here. But again, we're just trying to give people some understanding on how they can take their first steps towards fostering racial healing. And the one that I would really like to uh, discuss with you today, Madison, is, is remembering. You know, it seems that there are a lot of people who don't want to do this, especially in this context, white people who don't want anything to do with the past. You know, let's just move forward. That happened in the past. I didn't own slaves. I'm not a racist. And whenever you start trying to bring up the past or, or trying to gain uh, a historical context that can really lead us to understanding. Most seem to not want to learn about the past in the face of that. So here's my question to you today. In, in the face of that seeming pushback and that opposition, you know, why is it so important that we do it? Why is it so important that we take a look at the past? Well, we have in, in order to inform the future, right? It's not just about <clears throat> the present, but it, it but it is, right? So right. it's right. it's it's to help us understand um, the inequities that we're faced with, right? It's to just to bring that down to a um, a greater level of understanding. It's to help us understand why do we have gaps in education? Why do we have mm -hmm. gaps in the economy? Right? Why right. does um, and thinking about Des Moines, right? Why does the North side look different than the suburbs, right? Mm -hmm. It gives us context, right? And then from there, we can kind of have these tough conversations, right? And unless we understand the history of communities, black communities, white communities, um, and particularly in Des Moines is what I'm focusing in on. And, and really throughout the state of Iowa, we can't really inform ourselves where to move next, right? Where to go to next. Um, how to resolve some of these issues and some of these divides that we have. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've uh, in, in, in the white community a lot, we've been taught not to talk about race, not to see color. And, you know, it's, it's left us void of any understanding, any, uh, any kind of a language. It, at Bridge Building Solutions here, we have a, a little phrase, you know, history gives context and context gives understanding, which can lead to the motivation to uh, do something. And, the, the reality is, is because we don't have any historical context, we don't we don't really have any true understanding about what people of color are facing or what they've gone, what they're going through and why. And, you know, we we have to own our history because because of our history, there are so many things that people are even facing even to this day that are hindering them in their life and their experience. So. I'm going to unpack that just a little bit. Okay, so good. we're really talking about the social context, right? Okay. And we're also talking about that um, uh, economic context we're talking about in terms of the pushback that you're getting, right? And so yeah. we don't really interact with one another, right? So how can we really kind of understand experience? And really what you, when you're talking about history, you're talking about uh, people's experiences, right? Whether that's the political system or the education system. And really what I look at and, and thinking about the documentary, 
we're talking about a social context, but we're also talking about a political context and an economic context. And it, it's really kind of hard for white Iowans, right? Mm -hmm. Who have benefited off of that past, off of that history to really want to sit down and talk about it because you might have to give up something, yeah. right? That That's the kind of the thought. And I know we like to, you know, we, we kind of, we, we do a lot of quoting of, of, of James Baldwin. I noticed that that you like James Baldwin like I do, right? But one right. of the things that, that I, is one of my signature lines is that um, the world is before you and you need not take it or leave it as it was when you came in, mm. right? So that is not, that's kind of predicated when we talk about Baldwin, his, these quotes are predicated on a marriage between thought and action, ah. right? So we can, yeah. we can think about these issues and we can sit down and we can discuss these issues. But if we're really going to do what Baldwin charged us to do, there needs to be some action, right? And so, exactly. part, yeah, and so part of what we've done, you know, with the documentary that you mentioned, it's really a two part. It's the Center Street story, that social part, but then it's also that political and economic part, right? Because all of these systems are interconnected. It's the urban renewal retrospective, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that second part of the documentary because that's really what kind of, uh, it, it kind of unravels this history, this complex history um, of the black community, right? And so we talk about blackness in a black context in part one, and we talk about blackness in a white context, right? In part two, mm -hmm. that urban renewal and that policy piece. And so, that that's part of it but i also want to get back to where you talked about um the pushback and the you know people are not willing to listen one of the things that i do when i teach and i'm actually here and, and not so much representing um, my position at iowa state but really community legacy matters right and so and the work that we do with our nonprofit, and part of what i do whether i'm holding a social injustice workshop um, which is part of that ongoing work or whether I'm teaching. I write on the board or I write on a piece of paper and I write, write enslavement is part of my history. And then I write another line, but enslaved, enslavement is not my legacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. then I ask, and so, and so then I go back, right after I get, get that buy-in, I go back and I say, enslaving people may be part of my history enslaving people is not my legacy mm. unless I want it to be. Yeah. Right. And so I end yeah. it with unless I want it to be. And so that's that action piece. So it's not just the understanding, but it's really, really moving people towards action. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, as I, I mentioned in the intro that, you know, I think more and more, and I'll say specifically white people are, are, are waking up to the fact that something is horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. you know, we're living in an age where we should have resolved these issues a long time ago, but yet it seems to be the one thing that uh, remains unresolved. But the problem is, is that just because you wake up to the fact that something is horribly wrong, like you say, you have to do something. There has to be some level of action. But what happens with most white people is that they just get stuck right there. You know, once you move outside of the emotional uh, charge of a particular event, 
if you, if you don't have any understanding or context to, to what has gone on and how policies were created to benefit some and marginalize others, how laws were passed to benefit some and marginalize others, then you really don't know what steps to take. And so we've got to come to a place where we we help people who are beginning to recognize that, again, something is wrong, but don't know what to do, how to get unstuck and how to take those first steps. So obviously, building some cross-cultural relationships helps, but but also we need to, to, to gain some understanding about what has happened in the past, own that, right. embrace that, so that ultimately right. we can move into some kind of a repair. Absolutely. And I think I really think that the documentary kind of helps with that, right? Um, because it, it does give you that historic context. And like I said, it, it not only gives you the, the social, like how did how have we interacted with one another, right? So that we can examine that, but it also provides a platform, right? For conversation. So it's not just about sitting down and watching the documentary, but there's also an action piece, right? There's a conversation that takes place right. around that. And so, one of the um, projects that, that um, go along with that is thinking about social, and I say social injustice, brackets around the I-N, right? Because mm. we want to think about justice, social justice. But until we talk about the injustice and, and we sit with that for a while, we can't get to the justice. And really what we mean by justice, we, we just mean equity. We mean equity for all of humanity. Right. And so, but until, like I said, we get past that injustice and have that uncomfortable conversation and that's an individual, um, that's an individual journey. And so one of the places that I begin is with the individual, right? We have to allow individuals to set with themselves, to set with their own retrospective of their own histories and, and then just kind of work our way out from there. And then we can think about society and we can think about systems. Yeah, you know, and as hard as that is, and that's a, you know, we either want to fight or flight. You know, we, yeah. when, when we are dealt with um, some truth in our own lives. But, you know, until people gain an understanding of what's happened, what's really going on, they're really not going to have the motivation to do that. You know, mm -hmm. they're not going to have the, the motivation to, I like how you said, sit in that uncomfortableness, the the knowledge of that truth and allow it to ultimately bring about some change in their life. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about the documentary? It, it's called The Center Street Story. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, it's The Center Street Story, an urban renewal retrospective. And so this has been like 10 years in the making and, and it really kind of came about kind of going back to that idea of just wanting to know my blackness, right, in a black context within a greater Iowa context, right? And so that's kind of how it, it began. Um, and I first, you know, learned about Center Street. And, th and this is the kind of the myth is that, you know, black people in Iowa understand our own history in Iowa. And so that's kind of how it was birthed because I did not have that, that understanding. And so in the beginning, it was really just about learning history for history's sake, right? But it yeah. became a much more in-depth project, hence, the urban renewal retrospective. And so anyway, it's really sheds light on the social, economic, and political political injustice of the past that is very much connected to the present um, and future conditions of communities of color, 
particularly. But then I, I, I really, we kind of expound on that because one of the things we, we really want to do is, and, and to move people forward and to want to understand this history, we have to help people understand how it benefits you to understand the history, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really kind of what we're trying to do with this project, with the Center Street Story. Um, it's told through a collective of many voices, right? Um, um, you know, and they, they explore their own lived experiences and they share those. We've interviewed, you know, everyone talks about the musicians on Center Street, um, but we've also interviewed city planners, um, politicians, um, and, and academics, right? To kind of, you know, help us guide us through this, you know, through this complex history of Des Moines. Um, we really use, because urban renewal took place, it's a federal program. It took place across the country. Ours is a model of, of what has happened, right? Mm -hmm. Throughout the country, but we don't often think about it in the context of Iowa. I mean, we're less than, right? We've never been more than 4% of the population of Iowa. So we don't think that um, Blacks in Iowa, first of all, I get tired of hearing, oh, there are Black people in Iowa, right? Or, uh, right? And so, but yes, we're here, we're everywhere, and we have experiences. Um, we have, you know, historical experiences. And, and it affects our current context, right? Our current communities. So that's yeah. kind of where the documentary takes us. Well, yeah, and just recently, you know, we heard a lot in the news about the 1921 massacre in Tulsa and how a thriving black community was literally destroyed. And for the first time in America, Americans bombed Americans. And and yet we had our own thriving black community here in Iowa on Center Street that was right. basically taken away um, for right. urban, urban renewal and, and uh, I believe, Interstate 35 going through. And so, yeah, even... We do have uh, a historical story, even in our own community, that we Absolutely. need to understand better. Absolutely, and to this day, there, you know, part of the community is benefiting from that history, and part of the community is being impacted in negative ways from that history. And so, those are the conversations we have within the context of the documentary, um, and then after the documentary, as we have those, you know, those conversations around that. Um, so it is kind of like a, it's a it's a curriculum, right? The documentary is um, premised on a on a larger uh, curriculum that we have, um, and and just like you were saying, um, with the 1921 massacre massacre in um, Oklahoma, um, right? It, it it happens everywhere, right? Um, right. This, you know, we think about that area because of the numbers and because you know it's horrific. But violence takes many shapes, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Violence is um, the education gap. Wow. Violence is the economic gap. And so we need to look at that as well in terms of how people are able to recover from those histories or have not been able to recover from those histories. You know, I, I, I think about how the reality is, is that none of us have been taught the truth about our history. You know, they're there seems to be a uh, whitewashing of our history to somehow make uh, the the founding fathers, the the our own forefathers look good as far as historical context. And I know that there's a big controversy right now with 
critical race theory. And we, you know, we, we're, we probably don't have time to get into that today, but you know, everybody's worried about what our children are going to be taught in school. Like somehow the truth is going to hurt people or damage people. But, you know, I, as I was thinking about that, you know, I worry about what's going to happen when our children find out how they've been lied to. You know, I, I think about in my own journey and how I, you know, coming out of, of, of completely white culture and, you know, my my understanding of the idolization of our forefathers and, you know, the, the Constitution and the country and all of that, the 4th of July celebration. Is, and as I begin to learn about what really happened, things that I wasn't talked about, I I felt deceived, I felt ashamed, and and, and I and I felt guilty that I didn't know the truth. And you know, as 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 Christians in in this context, we, we context we we love the truth. The truth is what sets us free. And it, it amazes me how how some people are so, you know, pushing back so hard on really learning the truth. And I I worry about, you know, if we don't start speaking up and we don't start telling the truth, what kind of damage that even you know does to our children and to our families. Absolutely. And I think we have to look at that from, from both lenses, right? From, yes. from, your, from your lens and from my lens, right? Because I look at what happens if we don't tell the truth as well, right? I look at it as an oppression, uh, right? We're not telling the truth. It's not just about um, the, the damage that has been done historically, you know, in the context of color and context of race, class, right? Um, but it's also about not understanding who I am as a black person in America. It's also depriving me of a sense of place mm. in America, right? Yeah. It's also downplaying the greatness, right? It's downplaying the black scientists, the black educators, the black doctors, right? It, it's yeah. the, the laborers, right? The coal miners that came to, to help you know, build Iowa. So if yeah. we don't tell the truth, we're doing damage on both sides in different ways, right? And so I think that both of those are important and all of those conversations need to take place. And that's why history is so important, right? For yeah. for everyone's uh, benefit. Uh, and let's not forget about Native Americans, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I... Uh, I have a. Uh, I've been reading after James Baldwin a little bit, as you can tell. I, I, I wanted to talk about some of his quotes, but one of the ones that really rocked me a little bit is that he said, "White people are trapped in a history they don't understand, and until they do, they cannot be released from it." And wow, that 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 really impacted my life and really maybe, you know, just raised the bar a big in a big way about how important it is that we. We tr truly understand the truth about what has happened about our history so that we can be free of it. And I think gaining our freedom from that helps us begin to take those first steps that we need to in order to foster racial healing. And then another one that he uh, said was, and this one is, is powerful too, but he said, not everything faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And you know, there, there, there's, there's no guarantee is there that change is gonna happen, but in, unless we're willing to face some of the things that have happened, nothing has the opportunity to change. 
Right. Yeah. And Kimberly Crenshaw in, in a more current context kind of builds on that. Right. If you don't see the problem, you can't fix the problem. <laughs> right. That's that's basically what, what we're saying. Right. So so kind of moving that into a in, into a more current um, context. But Pastor Dan, can I ask you a question? You, I remember you said I could throw this back at you and ask yeah, you a throw it back at you and ask you a question. And I want to take you back to the quote that you had up before of James Baldwin when you talked about um, white people being trapped in a history that they don't understand. What does that mean to you to be trapped in a, in, in a history that you don't understand? What does that mean from your context? Well, I, I think like, you know, when, when people have experienced things or done things that, you know, are are not right, you know, or, or wrong. And anytime we try to bury it or pretend like it didn't happen or, or remain ignorant about happening, about the fact that it happened, then I think that impacts our lives. You know, um, I remember I had a good friend tell me one time, most abnormal behavior manifests out of childhood pain. And sometimes if, you, if you're not willing to deal with the past, you're not deal, willing to deal with the experiences that have happened in the past that are continuing to impact your life today, I don't think you ever truly get free of them. And I, I think as a, as a white person, you know, I have to be willing to embrace um, the, the past and what has happened and not try to deny it, sweep it under the rug. Um, always say, let's just move on and not do what I need to do to allow my understanding of what's happened in the past to help me ultimately take the steps that I need to take to be free from it. Okay. That does make sense. But, um, and and this is the part, (laughs) one more. Um, So in, in what we call like real talk, name, name that when you say the past, one of the things that, and, and I'm doing this intentionally because I'm just kind of trying to model how I kind of pull, you know, people into these conversations. Sure. When, when you say the past, name name that. What what when when you're talking about the past? So for me, I would say um, for the past, I would say racism, right? So, but maybe I didn't have the words for that back then. I knew that I was experiencing this thing. Right. But I didn't know how to name that thing. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to really kind of get at. What is that thing that 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 we're saying that people are trapped in, whether it be black people, whether it be white people, whoever. What is that thing? Well, I, I, I think that treating other human beings as as lesser entities and uh, claiming that people were not human to justify uh, inhumane treatment of other people, denying that other human beings were created in the likeness and the image of God. You know, as a, as a white person, as a Christian, as a, a person who is who claims to be born of God, to, to deny that, to, to lie about that, to have treated other human beings in in that way and not own that, I think is sin. And I think that the sins of the fathers are passed on to generation after generation. And, you know, in the con- my Christian 
context. I think the the biggest thing that I, I I feel like I really need to own is the fact of the matter is is that people who look like me, I may not have done it, but people who look like me treated other human beings as lesser than a human being, and that's an abomination to God. And I I think as a as a, a, a son of God in my context, I have to own that. I have to lament about that. I have to uh, repent of that. And I have to look for ways and opportunities to bring about to the repair to the damage that's been done. Okay. Thank you. That's, I just kind of wanted to expound on that. And, and those are, aren't those the tough conversations that, I mean, like you've had that you're, you're there and you're having those conversations and you're naming that. And I think what you're talking about is that it's really hard for people to kind of name that. But I do believe that what you've done today, just inviting me to the table, it's a step, right? We're having this conversation and we're interacting and we're asking each other these tough questions, right? Yes. And have a dialogue about that. And I do think that that's the first step. And, and probably we have to do more of that on that individual level, you know, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our ch other church members, right? Um, particularly Cornerstone with such a culturally diverse um, congregation. Um, we, you know, to show up on Sunday morning and praise together, but, and pray together, but then not interact, have any other interactions and have those real conversations on a different level, right? On a societal level, on a self level. I think that that's maybe where those steps can take place. I just wanted to kind of circle all the way back to that question that, that we yeah, were trying know, to figure out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we have to we have to figure out a way of getting outside of ourselves and really truly come into a place where we do love our neighbor as ourselves, where we genuinely have a concern, you know, of of what's gone on in your life. You know, I, I can look at my I can look at life through my lens, but that's just one lens. My my family and my friends have had different experiences. And for me to not be open to learning and listening and understanding what kind of a relationship can we really have if we if we if we don't open up our hearts to listen and to learn about different things that each other have gone through and experiences that each other have had and i i think that's what ultimately builds depth and depth in a relationship and trust begins to develop and then hopefully then in that we're going to learn some things that are going to hopefully help us move forward and take those necessary steps that we have to take. Absolutely. I, I am so grateful for our time today. And uh, I just really appreciate you um, adding to the discussion. And I hope that sometime we can have some more discussion and do this in, again. And we're going to uh, uh, pray that yeah, we'll have an opportunity to get back together and have more about uh some of these things, discussion about some of these things. So I want to personally thank you uh, for joining the podcast today. Okay. Thank you. Uh, absolutely. All right. Next time, what we're going to talk about is repenting. And I, uh, I hope that most of you know and understand and realize maybe context that, you know, some of you may not be able to grasp, but I think that most of you will. Because the reality is, as you begin to understand the truth about what really happened, I do not. I don't know how it could not lead you into a space of la lament. I'll say, and repentance. Part of the Christian life. Part of the life of love that God demands from us. 
You know, and, and I have to say that many times it's in our lament and repentance that we find the healing that we so desperately need in our, in our lives and in our relationships with other people. So, okay, we're out of time. Uh, don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. Check out our website at bridgebuildingsolutions.com. You can also go to our YouTube page, subscribe. We're on Facebook, whatever avenue that you can join this. So many of the podcast apps, all you've got to do is search Bridge Building Solutions and you'll be able to find us and subscribe to them. So I, I love you and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining the broadcast today.